Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It is the match preview, an extended episode because, of course, Newcastle head to Spurs on Sunday. But first, myself and John Gibson are going to reflect back on a disappointing night for Newcastle United down on Merseyside as they lost 3 0 to Everton. Uh, before we talk about the football, though, John, I just want to briefly mention something that reportedly happened in the away end last night, and there's been reports of so called poverty chanting towards those on Merseyside. I'm not going to reference a song that was reportedly sung by some Newcastle United fans, but I just want to say, if you were one of those, I thought that was a good idea. What on earth do you think you're doing? You know, we have the busiest and biggest food bank right here in Newcastle, the busiest and biggest in the UK, right here in our great city. And our friends down in Liverpool have been a great support of that food bank. Anytime there's an away game, they will help and they will bring donations, and it's, you know, it, it, vice versa as well. And in a time of a cost-of-living crisis, Christmas coming up, to think singing, that is a good idea at any time, but particularly now when times are this tough, you really do need to have a word with yourself if you're one of those people who thought it was a good idea. I'm sorry this is a football podcast, John, but that has really angered me because, you know, the, the foundations of a good football club is the community, and thankfully, 99% of the community... That's it, that you know that comes from Newcastle that supports Newcastle United will not be joining in in them chance, but for the few that do, I'd, you're a disgrace. You're an absolute disgrace, quite frankly. Shouldn't be happening. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't aware of that, uh, Andrew. But yes, I accept everything you've said. Yeah, there and more yeah. So. And um, we're getting to the football now. Um, not that that was any better to say, to say the least. Yeah. I, I felt John, it was going to be a difficult game I've, I've been quite positive when it comes to Newcastle in recent weeks predicting wins left right and centre but I always felt the game against Everton was going to be a hard one simply because of the amount of games that the same players have played Newcastle and the away form is absolutely awful and it, 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 well it was much worse than I expected 3-0 just sum up your thoughts I was, yeah I was going to say Andrew that neither of us thought it would be that bad we, we were a little bit apprehensive. You went for a draw because of that apprehension. But 3-0 was as bad as it gets. It was our worst result in terms of scoreline uh, of the season. And I think the bottom line simply is that the modern-day game of football, is, is it's a squad game, it's not a team game. And that is where Newcastle have come up short. We simply haven't got currently a squad anywhere near competing in any of the divisions, never mind in the Premier League, because, you know, two goalkeepers who are third and fourth choices, four young academy players, no attackers, no midfielders of consequence on the bench, certainly no game changers. Players having to play game after game after game and not getting their usual rest in the game where they're subbed in the second half. Um, it's all caught up with us and that's not an excuse. Unfortunately, it's a fact. Uh, and it's all caught up with us to such an extent that we're getting beaten on occasions when it does catch up with us by poor sides. We got done at Bournemouth and we got done at Everton. Luckily, after Bournemouth, where the fortnight's rest with the international break and we come back looking sprightly and high tempo and uh, pressing high, etc. 
um, and look the side we are. But I mean, that's gone by the by now, and it really is worrying. It's not in the least surprising. I mean, I've been talking on this on this podcast week after week, saying how often the phrase, how often can we go to the well? And the answer, unbelievably, has been yes, repeatedly we've done so. Uh, we certainly didn't do so last night. There was no high tempo. There was no vum about us whatsoever. There was loads of individual mistakes, and we'll come to that, but... You know, the most consistent man we've had all season and ever since he arrived here, uh, Kieran Trippier, had a disaster, bless him, last night. Um, and, you know, the outcome, which leaves a bad taste in the mouth, is that we dropped three points against Bournemouth and we, we dropped three points against Everton. And our way form, one win, two draws and four defeats in the Premier League. Four defeats in the Premier League. We only had three away defeats all season last season, and this is before Christmas. It was exceptionally disappointing last night. Um, we've been hoping and praying we can hold this off, hold this off. We're now losing ground on any hopes for Europe next season through our away form, not our home form. And what do we know? Next up is another away game. Um, now, that's either frightening or you can look on it and say it's an opportunity to put things right. I think it's both. Mm, yeah, and we'll talk about Spurs in a wee moment. But look, there's two, I think, burning questions from last night. And we will talk a bit more about the football and, and what happened and how Everton ended up winning 3 0. But I think there's two questions that everyone is asking. And the first question is, John, what is the reason for the poor waveform? Now, I put this out on social media last night and I said, injuries aside, because we know it's a factor, but let's not pretend before the pileup of injuries, Newcastle were swashbuckling away, you know, on the road. They weren't, you know, they weren't very good on the road. Um, and a lot of people came back and said, what do you mean injuries aside? It is the injuries. Now, I don't think it's as black and white as that. I think, of course, when players come back, you will uh, see an upturn in, in form. But I think there's other elements in, in play. And I had lots of uh, replies. We had uh, someone say it was struggling to unlock a side that plays 11 behind the ball. Uh, we had people blaming individuals. I mean, Almiron came up quite quite a lot. We've got someone saying Newcastle are too passive away. We don't press and apply the same pressure away from home. Lots of technical quality in areas, or lack of, sorry, technical, lack of quality in areas. We have to run more than the opposition every week to get results. We don't win games without the running and high tempo. Um, John says, for me, we're not taking our chances in big moments tonight i.e. against Everton, you had Isaac Gordon and Miggy with great chances and Newcastle should have been 2-0 up against West Ham. Isaac should have scored uh, to get his heart rate, but didn't. What is the the issue, John, on the road? Let's not talk about injuries, but I, 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 the, the, the other issues. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. It's very, very interesting. And a lot of what was said there and said by you, I'm sitting here nodding my head because, yes, there are a lot of small problems that's making a major problem. As far as the injury is concerned, not using it as an excuse, but I think what's papered over the fact is that when we play at home with our injuries, 
the crowd is so passionate, so lifting, so uplifting, they find the adrenaline that they didn't know they had. They found the ability to run the extra half mile that they didn't know they had. The crowd and the atmosphere and everything carries them through to get the results none of us are expecting. When it's away, the way supporters are magnificent, don't get me wrong, but there's 3,000 or 4,000 of them. There's 50,000 there's 50, of them at home with 2,000 away fans. So I, I think that the home thing of the 12th man and the atmosphere and the confidence inside being apprehensive of coming to play us plays a very significant part. But what's happening away from home is worrying. Um, and the the only result apart was Sheffield United. It was absolutely horrible and it was 8-0 and we could do nothing wrong. But um, yes, we look... I mean, you look at the side they played against Manchester United. I'm talking about the performance. And you look at the performance last night. I'm talking first half when it was still no, no, not when we start shipping goals. And all the pluses that were against Manchester United, high tempo, uh, pressing high up the field, energy levels, all those things were missing at Everton. And all those things were missing at Bournemouth. Um, and for some unknown reason, we cannot produce the high energy game with the players available to us away from home. I do think at home, the reason we've won six out of seven is, is because we get such a lift from the crowd. The atmosphere's set. It's like going into a bear pit. You know you know what you're going to get and you, you can feed off that. And, I mean, you look at anything. If you take the FA Cup and all the things that happen, all the giant killings, that happen, it's the home team that produces the giant killing, like Hereford against us, if you like, going to the ultimate, they produce it at Hereford, because it's a bear pit, because the crowd's with them, because the players manage to find that extra gear. We're not doing it uh, away from home. And I think last season, the, the only reason the injuries come into it is I think last season we did field our best sides regularly away, and we had the energy, and we got the results, because we weren't playing in Europe. We didn't have the workload last. Not only have we got the, 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 the injuries, but if you want to park them to one side, because it's over obvious that it's at Andrew, we didn't have the workload last season. When we had the good away record, we weren't playing in Europe. We played in three competitions, the Premier League, the League Cup and the FA Cup. And we went out the FA Cup at the first hurdle. So we effectively played in two competitions all last season. And now we're playing in three with a fourth to come. And the workload is, is... is And, of course, where does it normally result? I mean, Everton are the exception. They'd lost five at home before last night. Uh, they'd lost five at home and only won one. They'd won four away. They're the exception. If you have any dent in your form, any team, it's away from home, isn't it? It, it's not at home. Your, your way record's the one that holds you back, as it's holding us back. If you look at Aston Villa, who haven't got any of the problems we have, they're where they are in the league because of an unbelievable 100% home record, which goes back to about 14 games at the end of last season as well. That way record's nothing special in off the top of my head in the Premier League. Um, but they're up there because they're not doing too badly away like us, but but on the back of the home record. And it is worrying. I mean, it is very, very 
worrying because while we're mm. wrapped up in today, we've got to think about tomorrow. And we're making a rod for our own backs for tomorrow because we're going to come to the... If, if we carry on having limited number of bodies and getting exhausted, etc., etc., before most of the people come back in the new year, we could be just left-hander with the FA Cup because we could be out of the Champions League if we don't produce a result against uh, Milan and we could still be out then, but we need to produce a result. We could be out of the Carabao Cup if we don't win at Chelsea and it's a one-off. We've got to win that night and we could have tailed off in the in the Premier League. Now, I'm not the prophet of doom. I don't mean that's going to happen. I just mean that's the reality under a very bad set of circumstances which we've got at the moment. And that would be terribly unfair because we are better than that. There's no question we are better than that. But we're just not allowed to be better than that. And I'm, I always bang on here and I think I get a lot of laughs from punters and certain from yourself talking about Lady Luck, but, I mean, she has given us a right kick. She certainly is. I mean, it, it sounds like, John, it, it's a bit of a mentality issue, do you think, going away from home? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes, without without a shadow of doubt. And, you know, we go away, and if we think we're exhausted, then we, we seem to have this mentality that, well, it's understandable to be exhausted away. But it's not acceptable to be uh, uh, exhausted at St James's Park, and they get enough adrenaline going just to get over the line at St James's Park. But you look at our substitute situations, and I mean it's ridiculous, isn't it? We we're at the death after the game's all over to bring on Kraft and Ritchie, and I'm not blaming Eddie Howe for that because they're not two game changers. But that's the situation. Mm, well, I'm going to ask about the subs in just a moment. I just want to go back to John's point, uh, not you, John, the John on social media who, who said it about the chances about yeah. Isaac missing at West Ham. And yesterday at Goodison Park, you had chances for Newcastle United. I mean, Miguel Almiron should have finished in the first half. That was that was the chance, really. Isaac's header could he have done better? It was, you know. In those moments, I'm not, I'm not sure he could have really done much more. He gets up, okay, didn't really get as much contact on as he would have liked, flashes wide. The one in the second half, I think, and Isaac, who's sharp, finishes that without a shadow of a doubt. Isaac, yeah, he, he makes the I total mean, wrong decision trying to lift it over Pickford. I don't know why he just doesn't pop it a goal. But, you know, Almiron scores that goal, John, against an Everton side who've only won once at home since March, who are feeling sorry for themselves oh. because of the Premier League. Uh, point reduction in the relegation zone. Amiwan scores that in the first half. It, it's surely a totally different ending to the game, isn't it? No question. Uh, no question. And there's others as well as Amiwan. That stood out like a sore thumb. But there's others. Uh, I thought Gordon was poor last night and certainly poor in finishing. The one thing that we always worry about with Anthony Gordon, or, or, or say is the slight minus, is his finishing. Now, I know he's added a, a one or two goals recently. The winner the other day was a tap-in, but you've got to be there to score them. That's what Supermax always said, and you can't argue against that. But, I mean, there was chances. He hit one absolutely direct to the feet of Pickford, 
when he could have put it either side of him and no, he shot straight at him. And another, he lifted so far over the bar, I thought he was Johnny Wilkinson, not Anthony Gordon. Um, and and so he missed chances. Isaac, it was interesting that you've mentioned him. I'll tell you now, for me, Andrew, this guy was not has not been much sharp enough to play. He's only been playing recently because... Callum Wilson's gone down with yet another hamstring. He wasn't in an ideal world ready to play and he wouldn't have started him going back to when he first come in the side and he scored two goals in his first two games. But I'll tell you what, he didn't play well in those two games. He got two goals in them. And I, I'm hardly knocking that because that's a, the definition of what football is all about. But and he is such a wonderful player. He has looked lightweight to me <clears throat> and has looked nothing like the player that he can be and he stayed on the field far too long because there's been no options to get him off and get him subbed and I honestly believe that he went in the team early and I'm not blaming Eddie and I'm not blaming Alexander it had to happen because we were in such a dire state but he's a shadow of the player we know at the moment he's a shadow of the he's virtually going through the motions of being the I mean he's build up play he looked lightweight. He was getting shoved about. He hadn't that acceleration to to leave his marker and and accelerate in on goal. He, if I've got to typify what I see wrong with Newcastle at the moment, running on empty, then if I've got to point at one player and say he is the best example of that, that player would. Yeah, look, no, we spoke about this when we got confirmation of Callum Wilson's injury, and and the reaction was, "Oh, Isaac will be back." And we both agree, John, that the expectation of Isaac to last until Wilson gets back. Now, there's some hope Wilson might be back this weekend. I'm not too sure about that. Um, but we, we both said that is a really unfair expectation on his shoulders. But Newcastle have got no choice. And we are, I think, seeing, as you see, Isaac not being 100% match sharp. Gordon, interesting, you mentioned we knew he'd get uh, an interesting reception going back to Goodison Park. And... I really hoped that it wouldn't get on top of him, but he looked, he looked, mm, he, it, it shrinking violet. I think is the is the phrase. He didn't, he didn't look himself. I, I was, I was very surprised, Andrew, because I described him on this podcast as being as spiky as a porcupine, and he is. He's a little working. By the way, is everybody in Everton a working ticket, uh, including uh, Anthony Gordon when he was there? Because. My favourite goalkeeper, Pickford, what a pain in the derriere he is. Um, I'm not talking about his ability, I'm just talking about him being a pain in the derriere. And, and he asks for a poke in the eye with a sticky rod, the way he goes on in the game, and he caused chaos towards the end. But uh, I thought that Anthony Gordon was spiky enough to actually not shrug off what happened, Andrew, but grow because of it. I actually thought he could grow because of the taunts he was getting, because I always talked to MacDonald, who had broad shoulders in the old days when he was playing, and he said if he got stick from the opposing crowd when he was playing for Newcastle United, he was delighted and he grew six inches because he knew that that club was worried about him. That's why he was getting stick off the fans, because he might score against them. That's why he was getting stick in the hope that the, the defenders were able to handle him. And he took it as a compliment. And I thought that would happen with Anthony last night. It didn't. 
I agree like you that I felt he, he, he looked a bit um, shrinking while overawed by it. It looked a bit much for him. Um, uh, and that disappointed me because I wasn't expecting that. And and consequently, the, the one slight weakness in his game, the finishing, because he was at Everton, because of the stick he was taking, he snatched it at chances. He snatched at them. And and it looked as if he snatched at him. He wasn't cool. He snapped at it. He just shot straight at the keeper. He ballooned it over the bar. Uh, and then there was a little smile come on the face, like, you know, this isn't my night and I can hear what the crowd think of me, etc., etc. I was disappointed, but I was I was disappointed in so many. I was disappointed in him. I was disappointed in Isaac not being the Isaac we know. I was disappointed for trips because the mistakes were horrendous. I was disappointed for Dubovka because I I'm not sticking anything whatsoever on his plate. But his nightmare before the game must have been I come back and let in three goals and we lose. Um, and and it wasn't his fault. His mistakes were in front of him. But he, it's still on his record that he let in three goals and lost on his rare Premier League game. So I felt sorry for a few of them. There was a few others that I wasn't so sorry for, mine. But uh, that is a different matter. But it... it and you know what, and, and I know we're going to talk about Spurs in a minute, but looking at the Everton performance, you look at that and you think, what the heck can Eddie Howe do about it? I mean, in, you know, in under normal circumstances, Andrew, you would go up to Miggy Almirin and you would go up to Joe Gordon and say, hey, hey, another display like that. And I tell you, I've got Jacob Murphy and Harvey Barnes sitting here. You'll be out the side. And you go up to Isaac and say, if you don't think you're up to it, Callum Wilson's jumping at the bit and knocking on my door to come in. And he would go to the midfield people and say, do you realise how good Sean Longstaff and Willock is? If You better shape up, else they're in the side. He can do none of those things at the moment. And that is yeah, tough. Yeah, 100%. Um, obviously, you, you mentioned there uh, quite a few players. And I, I guess some listening will be, will be shouting at us saying, come on, be fair, the injuries, it is it is down to the injuries and that's why they're tired because they are playing so many minutes and so many games. And, and I don't think either of us disagree with that. But on the, on the, the topic of, of changing things up, I think the second burning question everyone is asking is why Eddie Howe doesn't trust his bench. Now, I fully understand that in an ideal world, 80% of those players on the bench last night would not have been on the bench. That's probably been polite, okay? It's probably it's probably a higher percentage. I think it is polite. Well, yep. you're in this situation where that's the bench you have to name. You've got nowhere to turn, right? And you look at it, it's 70 minutes, 75 minutes. You can see certain players are flagging. Now, I, I get it to a degree that you don't want to make the changes because you don't want to disrupt the game plan. But at that point, the tired bodies, the tired legs... That's disrupting the game plan. So I just don't understand why with Spurs coming up on Sunday and Milan on Wednesday, with 20 minutes to go, when you're still within a chance of winning this game, still within a chance of at least getting a point, you don't just make a change. You know, like we look at Isaac and he was running on empty with 20 minutes to go. Throw Ben Parkinson on. I know he's a young lad, but he's going to have a bit of legs about him. If he's been training as he has been with the team all week, then surely he has to be aware of the game plan. You know, it, Anthony Gordon wasn't working for him. Bring on Amadou Diallo. I know he's a young lad. He's raw. But that, yes, and that energy. Do you honestly think, 
I know, I know the theory, and the theory is good, and 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 um, it's obviously good that you want to work your bench, but you know, it's asking a heck of a lot of those two young lads if you think they can come on and be game changers. I, I don't, I, I don't know, and you're gonna, you're, yeah, because I don't. No, I don't, and you're gonna, you're gonna laugh at my next sentence, John. I don't necessarily think it's about being a game changer. I know that sounds daft. Look, they're professional footballers at Newcastle United. They must have something about them. You know, Eddie Howe has the academy to choose from. You know, they must be the best of that bunch to get on that bench in this situation. But I don't think it's about game changing. What I think it's about is managing those 11. You know, the 11 who've started against Chelsea, the 11 who've started against PSG, uh, Manchester United, and then Everton. It's been the same 11 other than the goalkeeper. The bench, the changes, collectively have only been 25 minutes. That is not sustainable. And when you can see the players running on empty, and you've got two games, important games coming up in quick succession. Maybe you do just you you, you sacrifice the the talent, the experience, and the ability for someone who's got a bit of energy, for someone who can just run about for twenty minutes. Because I do honestly think you'll have more chance of getting a result with someone who's got a full tank than someone who's running on 50 percent. And then it's the impact of what happens next. You know, Isaac inevitably will have more energy about him against Spurs if he came off with 20 minutes to go. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I follow I, f I follow all that. Um, but if you're not, not and you're trying to win the game with a quarter of an hour to go, I'm just playing devil's advocate here, um, you need a game changer. It doesn't matter that somebody can run about. He's got to run about to some effect. Usain Ball could run about, but I don't want him to play for Newcastle United. And, and, and that's something that we have not got on the bench. The only people that could go on with experience and do something was Kraft and Dummett and Richie, all right, but I think Richie's passed his sell-by date and I thank him for everything he's done for us, but I think he's passed his sell-by date. And they defensively, they aren't going to change the game. I don't think, and I take your point, and it would give us more energy with uh, the, the two kids you mentioned going on. It would give us more energy. I don't think it would give us that much more penetration. It would give Isaac a rest before he's got to go to Spurs and then Milan. I agree with all that, but... We need game changers. And now it's no good saying that if you're with Newcastle, and I'm not talking about the two lads you mentioned here, I hasten to add because I wouldn't presume to insult them in even the mildest of ways. But it doesn't mean just because you're at Newcastle United, you can play and you're going to be a player. I can I can name you over the 50 years I've been reporting on Newcastle United, I could fill a book of names of players who were full-time at Newcastle United and never made it and went away and never made it further down the division as well. It doesn't mean you're automatically something. I mean, one of the problems we had, and these guys will be the best of our academy, so I don't think it necessarily applies to them, but our academies have been so bad and so dearth on talent that we've gone out and bought players in from Ireland and from clubs in the south and just to bolster our our academy sides while we try to get some organisation and some fluency into there to bring in players naturally and local talent naturally. 
our our academy sides have been horrible, Andrew. We haven't got a dearth of quality talent just because we've got Miley, who's absolutely gorgeous and is wonderful, but is a one-off at Newcastle. Lovamenko and Hall and in this these young talents have been bought in. They haven't come through the ranks. We haven't got a lot of quality talent just waiting on tap. We haven't got another half dozen Miley's anywhere along the line. Um, and so it's tough. It's not an excuse. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't work the bench more than we do. And I mean, we normally work the bench quite a lot when we've got all of our players available to us, but we, we haven't done that at all. And it shows that deep down inside, however much it's wrapped up by Eddie in his press conferences where everybody named is wonderful and we can all understand why that happens. Every player named is wonderful. I mean, the bottom line shows that there isn't a trust. When you don't, when you don't work your bench, you don't trust the people that are sitting on there. And, you know, a lot of that may well have applied to Miley and Lafamento, I don't mean you don't trust them because you recognise the talent, but they would have never got the opportunity they've got and they've taken with both hands now if it hadn't been forced through injuries. They would still be sitting on the bench and getting the odd 20 minutes or, or mm. half a But time. I think, I agree, I, th I think the point is though, of course you want a bench full of game changers, but the situation Newcastle find themselves in, you don't simply have that. But then I do ask the question of whether Isaac when he looks like he can't trap a bag of cement, is he going to be the game changer you need with, with, with five, ten minutes to go? I know he has that ability, but if he's that tired and you can see he's that tired, Mickey was absolutely knackered by the end of the game. I just think, you know... Something, something man who looked knackered yeah, exactly. in the first that, ten minutes. Isaac didn't run about and look great and then tire and disappear off the edge of the cliff. Isaac looked poor all game and has done. He has done in previous games recently, and and yes, Almiron and Gordon on occasions because they're so high energy, and we expect that energy just to be turned on like a tap every game. Eventually, it can't be. However fit you are, and however natural an athlete you are, and they are natural runners, and they're built physically like runners. They are natural runners. But there comes a time when, you know, you can't turn the tap on. And and that, I felt at Bournemouth and at Everton, that looked like it in the first 10 minutes, Andrew, not just the oh, last yeah, 10 definitely. minutes. You, you, you kind know, of saw that from, from, from yeah. really the word go yesterday. They looked tired. Yeah. There was a lot of wayward passes, heavy touches. It, it didn't look like the vintage yeah. Newcastle. But just, I, I just think, obviously, with, with that in mind, I, I still just don't get why you just wouldn't, you just wouldn't take the gamble. And I know what you're saying. Look, you can beat Newcastle United as a youngster and not make it. Just because you're in the black and white shirt at 18 or 19 and sitting on the bench, it doesn't mean you're going to be a goal scorer at Newcastle come 26, 27. But to bear these, to, to be fair to these lads, Parkinson and Diallo, big things expected of them. And, and we hope they're going to be big talents. And I just do question... Absolutely. I'm not questioning it. I mean, look, Eddie Howe obviously works week in, week out, day in, day out with these players. So his judgment is final. He knows what he's doing. We don't. We're sitting here and we're sharing our opinion. But I, I do wonder, obviously this depends on who he gets back ahead of Sunday. But he's going to be, at some point, he's going to have to play players he doesn't want to play. He's going to have to. I mean, I, th I thought that the game, that, and I think I... I 
alluded to this when we did the uh, the previous podcast, Andrew. In fact, I know I did. I said that I didn't expect uh, everything to catch up with Newcastle at Everton because since we played Manchester United, we had this little gap right up to a Thursday and then we had the very small turnaround Thursday to Sunday for Spurs. I expected that sort of performance last night. I was worried that we'd get that at Spurs. I thought that we had one more game in us because of that extra little time we had um, and it wouldn't have, and the quality of the opposition that we were facing at Everton, that it wouldn't happen at Everton, but it did. And, you know, the worry now is how he turns it round. Now, the, the, one of the answers is that Newcastle have always somehow managed to bounce back and look at the one that went on, etc., etc., after Bournemouth. But what concerns me after Bournemouth, a lot of the players who weren't in nationals had a fortnight's rest. And, and, and that meant to overcome the big problem, the biggest problem, which was mental and physical tiredness. But we haven't a, a fortnight's rest between Everton and Spurs in, in AC Milan and Fulham. You know, the, that is my concern as we go into uh, Spurs. So what do you do about the team? Do you um, Do you just go with the same 11 yet again? Do you bring in Kraft and Dummett and whatever at the back because they're experienced and even risk Richie starting? Or do you start with the Baines and just gamble and say, well, this is a free hit. This might work, but it might not. But I think he'll play the, the same team that started against Everton. And that, again, for me, just raises questions about why you wouldn't use the bench with 10 minutes to go. Um, because... You know, then they're going to be knackered. They're going to be knackered. Uh, what would what would you do with the team? It, it I think it'll be the same. Group. I think it'll be the same uh, team. I know. I'm not. Ask, I'm not asking what you think. It, I will do. I'm saying, what would you do? Yeah, yeah. I would. I would play the same team because he hasn't really got the options. To, well, he hasn't got the options to change. I mean, look, you might have Sean Longstaff back. Maybe you may have Callum Wilson, but we don't know. We'll hope we find out. Well, obviously, we'll find out closer to the time. But I think, I, 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 I... if we presume, if we presume nobody's yeah. coming back, you know that Longstaff or Wilson is not going to make it, or at the very least, you might get quarter of an hour out of them to end the game, but they wouldn't be able to start. If nobody was coming back, would you start the same team, or would you look at utilising well, Paul, for example? As well, a that's young the big dad, question, isn't uh, it? Or, 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 no, I or think... the kids. Firstly, I, I think, well, I, I would play the same team and I'd feel a lot more confident in saying that if Eddie Howard made a few changes towards the end of the game, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes to go, if he'd brought on a few changes, even though he wouldn't have wanted to, not the players he wants to bring on. I get it, I get it, I get it. Great professionals, but not the ability, not the talent. I understand that. But I think just with the mindset of Spurs coming up, make the changes and just save a bit of energy in the tank for the likes of Isaac, for the likes of Gordon Braves, I'd feel a lot more confident saying it's going to be the same team. Lewis Hall, John, that is the interesting one because, look, you would think the one man guaranteed to come on in in, in 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 one position or another would be Lewis Hall. He can play left back. He can play further up the field. Yeah, he just doesn't seem anyhow. Just doesn't seem to fancy him. No, I I accept that, and I think that is the intriguing name because he's a young lad. He's got legs. 
But the difference between him and the two kids you're talking up front is that he's got experience and he's an England uh, age group international and he played 10, 12 games last season for the first team at Chelsea. You know, he's one where you would think the option... And he can play midfield, attacking midfield. Look at the goal he scored at Manchester United in the League Cup. He can bring an extra... I'm not suggesting he's a game-changer, but he has that extra experience. He can do that little thing where the two young kids might be expecting just a lot. Although I loved their little... Remember when they come on for the last three minutes at St James's? It was lovely to see them. What they, it was the Chelsea, wasn't it? When when we were four up and the little lads went on. Wonderful. And then enthusiasm and yeah, heart went out to them. But it, this is interesting with Hall because... Yes, you're right. Now, I don't think for one second the way Newcastle are set up that Eddie Howe does not have a huge influence on who Newcastle buy because he's got uh, a family member in that um, particular think tank. He's got himself and nobody has bought. If Eddie says, I don't fancy him, I don't want him, it doesn't happen. So we went for Hall and we got Hall and I know Eddie came up with an excuse immediately after we got him and said he didn't play pre-season for Chelsea, etc., etc. So he's got no time in his tank. And I said, well, how's he going to get that unless he gets on the field regularly for the first team? And he hasn't. But, I mean, he hasn't been going on when people like Richie, who's a left-sided player, I mean, Hall's a left-sided player. Hall could come on ahead of Richie, couldn't he? in these games and, and and yet doesn't and you wonder why I mean Hall's a young Richie if you like and, and full of potential uh, he doesn't come on at any stage not even at the end when they bring Kraft and, and, and Richie on at the end etc it's not Hall and when Hall has played twice he's been subbed at half time which is almost humiliating for a professional footballer to be subbed that early it, it, without injury. And so it is an intriguing one because at a time where we haven't got players of any experience, and as I say, this fella played almost a dozen games for the Chelsea first team last season and left because he wanted to play more often and he's played it on site left, less. And and he hasn't been injured, you know, like we suddenly hear Manquillo's out there injured and somebody else is out there. It hasn't. So it, that has been a fascinating uh, by product of, of what's happening. At mm. He played against Manchester United in the Cup. Attacking-wise, he was absolutely fantastic, I thought. It is a really interesting one because, like you say, he's got that experience for a young lad and you would think, again, maybe just to say the legs of a Trippier, Livermento, or even a Gordon, you, you, you would bring him on for, for five, ten minutes, but he, he's the one, Andrew, yes, you know what you're saying for new legs and all. That argument, which I thoroughly understood as being a good argument, the one there that really you could say how would have the trust would be a guy that you're about to pay, what, $26 million for or something? Yeah, it's a bit more than I think, but yeah, it's, it's, I think it's, yeah. It is. It's it an is interesting more, one. And I know, think John, though... Isn't that... It's somebody you would play yeah. now without a shadow of doubt. That is that you know, I'm not quite baffled about how not playing the two young, young, young lads. I don't mean he shouldn't, I can see why yeah. he's reticent, but why isn't he playing? Why isn't he bringing all on? 
And, and he can, as you say, he can rest either of his full-backs, you can rest anybody in midfield you like, because he was originally a midfielder at um, at Chelsea before he settled at left-back, and he played wide for us and scored the great goal of Manchester United. We've never seen yeah, the lad. It's a, that is amazing. That is, in the current crisis, yeah, that is indeed. Amazing. I can hear people shout, well, Eddie knows best, and we don't disagree, but also Eddie Howe wouldn't want people not to ask the difficult questions, and Lewis Hall and why he's not playing is a difficult question. Why aren't you making the subs, pushing the bench? That is a, a question I'm sure Eddie Howe would, would, would want to answer and, and did, um, I think, uh, after the game uh, against Everton. Um, let's talk about Kieran Trippier. He has been fantastic. Eddie Howe said after the game he's been a catalyst for success. Players will have bad games. Kieran Trippier has had bad games before in black and white and then he's always bounced back. I mean, the last few weeks, a uh, couple of months, he's been absolutely tremendous. Arguably playing the best football of his career in Newcastle and for a 33-year-old. That is tremendous to say. Look, it's a bad night. It was two tired mistakes. He'll be kicking himself more than anybody else. He'll be looking to rectify that on Sunday. Hopefully, no one's getting on his back. It's just football, isn't it? And while you answer that, John, my power's about to run out of my laptop. So you answer that question on Kieran Trippier when I plug yeah, wiring. So you go for it. Just talk to us about Kieran Trippier and, and why no one should be looking um, in, in what happened last night against anything other than just a bad night. I, I don't think anyone will get at Kieran Trippier. Certainly no one will get at Kieran Trippier within the dressing room because he's seen as a great, great leader of men who is the epitome of everything the modern day Newcastle United's all about. Yeah, the the uh, huge heart, the willingness to give everything, the relentless activity on the field, the inspiration to people around him, the uh, uh, the fact he has your back in every situation, and yes, what you were saying, Andrew, about the lad has had bad games, but recently he's been sensational. But he's had bad games. But I felt last night was more than just having a bad game, it, it wasn't that he had a bad game, it's that he dropped horrendous clangers. And and that's a difference. Between, that is, there's a big difference between having a poor game and your passion's not as sharp as it can be and you're not getting on the cover and all that, and trying to play two back passes that you don't just underhit. On the first one, which was the game-changer, and we've been using that expression a lot, that goal was, he didn't get anything on it. It was almost like a fresh air shot. And the winger just come in behind him, took the ball away, walked down, stuck it in the net. I mean, there were there were elementary mistakes that if you saw on a Sunday morning match at 11 o'clock with a lot of pot-bellied uh, men who had been on the booze the previous night, you would still get awful stick for, for making that mistake. And here was a England international making it. But... He has so much um, uh, in the plus margins at Newcastle United with the fans, with the players and with the manager that you can't <coughs> you can't point a finger at Trippier. He has truly been, he epitomises what Newcastle, the modern Newcastle United is all about, what they have become under the new ownership and the new manager and what they, they were before that. And I was just saying before this happened, and I was saying I was working last night with Frank Clark, who knows a little bit about playing fullback in Newcastle United. He did it about 
460 times. Um, and I was talking to him. Uh, we watched, we had a gig on live at the Irish Centre and a lot of Newcastle fans and we had the big screen up watching the game and talking before the game, half time after the game. And it was a lot of fun. And, you know, you've got to re um, respect what Frank knows about fullback play at Newcastle. Craig and Clark are still held up as the, the best partnership at fullback Newcastle have had until now. And we were both saying, him and I, how sensational this was before the game. Trippier and Levermento have been recently and how brilliant on the ball, how high energy, how silky skills, determination, got everything. Um, so you can't go from that to doing a fella because he had a bad second half down at Everton. Um, I think we're all talking because the last person we would expect on the field to drop out and out basic clangers because it wasn't the fellow running off your shoulder and getting on the wrong side of you and heading the ball into the net and that can happen and that does happen and that's poor play he, he hasn't got that poor play he just tried two back passes and hit fresh air I mean it, I had a blink and watched the replays to make certain it was trips it was outrageous it was horrible and it cost us the game big time because with quarter of an hour to go or little more it was not not it wasn't pretty it wasn't good and would be disappointed with a note note because we felt Everton's the sort of team you win away to change your away record but by Jove by the final whistle come all is accepted mm, note note indeed yeah and I think you said actually on the on the match preview that you didn't want to jinx it but have you seen uh, talent yes. pair such as uh, Livermento and, and Trippier but as you you made a good point there John look it's 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 two mistakes very poor from Trippier we can say that but on the whole mistakes happen in football and you know he's been he's been tremendous for Newcastle and and I think you you criticize what happened in that moment but you know you you, you look to get past it because as as Eddie Howe said after the game collectively Newcastle were not there and actually I think that played into what happened with Trippier because there was instances especially in that second half him Fabian Cher you know they they were looking disappointed they were looking for straight because every time they had the ball at that back line, they were looking for players to move and no one was really moving space in front of them. The energy had gone, the direction, the the intent to get the ball and go forward had gone. And you could see them shrugging their shoulders, putting their arms on the air, gesturing to players to move into space. I think Trippier, he gets that ball and you could see as time was going on, the passes were, were, were becoming shorter to, to each other at the back, but they were becoming harder. And I was just waiting for something like that to happen because, you know, you can, there's only so much, uh, so many times you can just blast it into your teammate and not expect the mistake to happen. And then you've got no one moving. Look, it was a tired performance. And I think that really was kind of the definition of a tired performance collectively as a team. What, it, what concerns me and worries me, Andrew, is that, um, and I've mentioned this already, we had a fortnight after Bournemouth to get out a system and to plug into the mains, if you like, and get in, and get more energy, get more electricity into us. We've got three days, two days this time to do exactly the same. And, you know, we've already said that Eddie will probably start with the same team at Spurs, mainly because he, hadn't got an, he hasn't got an alternative unless he 
goes back on the way he's used Hall or suddenly decides that he wants to use Kraft or Dummett or, or Ritchie, which I don't think he will. But, um, you know, we worry that he, he puts the same lot out. Why should they f- suddenly look refreshed, Andrew? when they weren't refreshed last night in, in, in the games coming up quicker than Manchester United, Everton. That is my great concern. Newcastle, at their best, playing the way they do, will they'll lose games. Every single team, look, Man City have gone four games and haven't won. Who, you know, when does that happen? They would lose games, but they would they would lose them with more about them than they have at the moment. And it, it really is a worry where this energy is going. Well, the next two games, we have got to produce a big performance at Spurs because we are losing ground in the Premier League. We've got to produce a big performance at Spurs and then we all know what's riding on AC Milan. The future of the Champions League is riding on AC Milan. So we've got to produce two big, big performances. And what we saw last night and what we know at this moment is available to Eddie like what you know, you hold out hope on Longstaff or on Wilson, but there's no guarantee on either. There's no guarantee that anybody else is going to be available uh, for those two games. Uh, we we are living on our nerves ends because this our season will be defined by Christmas, Andrew, because we'll either be in or out of the Champions League, in or out of the League Cup, and in in or out of the big fight for the top four in the Premier League. We're going to have, all that's going to be pretty well sorted by Christmas. In the Champions League, in the in the League Cup, definitely sorted by Yeah, I, I agree. And some big performance coming up and hopefully Newcastle can get some players back. It's certainly going to be interesting to see if any are back in time for Sunday. But again, Eddie Howe's not making excuses. He's not blaming the injuries, he's not blaming the schedule, he's just looking at what happened on that night and I, I've said it plenty of times on on, on the podcast in re- recent weeks, it is refreshing to have a manager who isn't just waving the, the white flag. You know, certain managers, managers would be talking about having 12 players out, 13 players out before kickoff. You know, they'd be in front of the Amazon cameras saying, oh, well, look at the team, look who I've got to play, I've got three youngsters on the bench. Eddie Howe's not doing that. He's just getting on with it. He'll be analysing what happened against Howard and making sure that the mistakes uh, when they win possession, when the wow position, possession don't happen against Spurs. And as I've said before, he'll just be making sure that those players available on Sunday, that's where his focus will be. He'll be looking to focus on the players who can impact the game on Sunday and not those who are still in the physio's room. We we are we are all another dimension that we've got to consider is that um, you know we've talked about perhaps Wilson might come back perhaps Longstaff might come back perhaps Bachman and Harvey Barnes aren't too far away from coming back but and and you know this is the cavalry coming over the hill and what a relief when we see their name on a team sheet uh, be it Spurs AC Milan Fulham or whenever. But there's the other dimension, Andrew, and that is, are they going to be hit the ground running or are they going to be like Isaac, brought back a bit early because needs must and look what Isaac's looked in recent performances, which is not the Isaac of old, but but 70% of Isaac, not 
if what he can do. You know, if Wilson comes back or one of these guys come back, is are they going to come back and do a Livermento or Miley or, or are they going to come back and, and, and be rushed that little bit? Whereas if everybody else was fit, they'll be given another yeah. fortnight and, and come back really on top. They might now... There must be a temptation in Eddie's mind to at least put them on the bench and improve the, the situation on the bench or put them in the team early. And I've, I'm convinced that's what happened with Isaac. And, and you know, so will there then be the answer, uh, the immediate answer to all our prayers? The name will be so reassuring on team sheets. But the performance is what we will Yeah, I'll give a bit of a boost to see some, some players returning, even if they don't play that. Many minutes. I mean, what does it do though of your the same eleven that we think will start, and you, and you see Eddie Howe, you know, in his pre-match and his post-match, not using the excuse of injuries. I mean, that that must galvanise those players who are playing week in week out. I know that they're, they're, they're tired and then they're knackered, but that must boost their spirits. Know that the manager, at least publicly, is backing them one hundred percent. Yeah, I'm not sure footballers think that deeply, uh, or most of them. Um, and some of them, some of the senior ones would probably feel that um, far from being boosted, my workload is is almost impossible sort of thing. The ones who would be there even if everybody is yeah. fit, I'm talking about. The guys that have come in and taken advantage of that, like Livermento and Miley and most think to the, in Lascelles, uh, must think to themselves, hey, this is terrific. The manager had does trust me. Uh, he has kept me in the team game after game after game after game and applauded me publicly. They get a big, big lift out of that. If you're Bruno or you're Shaw or you're Isaac, who were there automatically, even when everybody's fit, you must be looking at it at the moment and think, I need a breather. Even if it, the breather is uh, play 60 minutes and then come off subbed and, and somebody of quality goes on in my place. But they must think, oh, crikey, I know I'm going to play at Spurs, but blimey, the, that game's too early. I would, it would be lovely if my next game was well, next Wednesday. Well, we already how doesn't want to make the changes, so they'll, they'll know they're not getting any... Any rest because they're going to play any rest. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, yeah, they also know, but I don't think that's a reassuring yeah. boost to them. I think it might be yeah. a bit different. I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, on Spurs, they lost 2 1 uh, to West Ham last night, and there is this unbelievable stat. I know, John, you're not a, a fan of stats, but listen to this Tottenham are the first side in Premier League history to score first in five successive games and win none of them. They are also the first side to lose three successive home matches in the competition, having scored first in all three. So look, your castle will be deflated. They will be hurting. Hugh and Trippier will be angry with himself. But I tell you what, the bus back up, the playing back up, I don't know how they got back to Tyneside. Maybe they're going straight down to London, who knows? I think you might be playing that Spurs game against West Ham and just saying, okay, we can get out of them here. We can we can get oh. the second away win of the season here. Oh, I, I mean, if it was normal circumstances, and I'm sick to <laughs> death of saying that and trumpeting the same old line, but if it was, if it was normal circumstances, the form Spurs are in, I would think we're going down there and we're going to get three points, and no question about that at all. I mean, you know, they've had four defeats in the last five games. 
Spurs, having had this sensational start to the season where the whole world fell in love with him, you know, Ange Ball. I mean, are, 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 we, are we at Ange Ball or are we at Spurs being Spursy? Um, and I think they started off with being Ange Ball and now Spursy. Um, but there, has, there was this wonderful um, period when the whole of the national press and perhaps the country fell in love with Spurs at the beginning of the season because he had this extrovert Greek Australian take over as manager, throw all the caution of Mourinho and Conte and previous Spurs managers out the window and say, we're going to play attacking, attractive football. You've just lost the greatest player, one of the greatest players you've ever had in the history of the club, Harry Kane, captain of England, who just scores 30 goals a season for fun. He's disappeared. And so you're fearing the worst. And all of a sudden, they come out and they're dotting the ball about. It's a, it's something wonderful to behold. And they're getting a load of results. And they're getting Song, who's moved from wide to play centre-forward, with all the attributes he's got, a wonderful touch, quick is an arrow, and a natural finisher. And all of a sudden, you're thinking, this is paradise. And everybody, not only the Spurs fans, loving big hands, but the whole of the country appears to be. He seems to be the teddy bear, you know, to take over from um, Pugsy uh, on telly is Mr. Lovable, and all of a sudden, everything in the garden's wonderful. Then, suddenly, they get four defeats out of five. And I know they've had a couple of injuries, but now compared with ours. But what they do is they play attractive football, they score goals, they go ahead, as you've rightly pointed out, and then they get beat. Because the defence gives you a real chance. The, the back four give you a real chance. And the keeper isn't bad, man. So that shows how bad the back four is when the keeper isn't bad and have lost four out of the last Yeah, five. they seem to crumble when they get into winning positions and whether maybe they can't handle the home expectation it is one thing. So when, when Spurs go on Sunday to go 1-0 up, should you and I cheer, Andrew, and say this is now Newcastle's time? I think so. I think a lot, a lot of uh, bets might be going on once Spurs take the lead in, in, in Newcastle United's fear. But come on, John, they're gonna, Newcastle are going to keep a clean sheet, actually, and they're going to win on Sunday, aren't they? I would love to think so. If I hadn't seen last night, if I could have turned the telly off and just talked to Frank Clark on stage and done a normal show, which is what it was supposed to be, I would probably think that's right. And if it was the Newcastle United that played Manchester United, and if it was the Newcastle United that played Chelsea, and the Newcastle United that beat Paris Saint-Germain 4-1, I would say without a shadow of doubt. Unfortunately, all those good performances I've just mentioned were at home and were playing away. Um I mean, you've got a great chance with Spurs. You're not going down to play Spurs, the team that started the season, who would hammer the way Newcastle are playing at the moment. Just you said before, Everton, that you felt a little bit anxious about that game. You were talking about a draw rather than a win, um, but a little bit anxious. And I've, what you felt there, I feel now about this game. Not looking at Spurs and not because we're playing Spurs, they give us a real chance, but looking purely at Newcastle. I'm wondering, Eddie, we played Thursday night. We're playing against Sunday. We've all agreed that we'd love to change the starting level, Levin, because it needs changing, it needs freshening up, but we've got no players to do that, and he won't do it. Now, 
what's going to change in terms of being exhausted mentally and physically, etc., etc., between Thursday night and Sunday night. And that's what worries me. And that's why I think, like you did against Everton, I think it will be a draw. If it was anything like a, the right Newcastle game, if we hadn't played Everton, and I just looked at recent form, I would say Newcastle to win. But Spurs are still at home. They're still attractive. They will not be easy in a totally different way to Everton. Everton were always going to be doer and resilient. This side might just play off the park or they might be as resistant as a chocolate teapot. So, you know, you're not certain what you're going to get from Spurs because they're Spursy. But uh, I, and I know you'll be disparaged about this, but I'm Do going you know to take what? it off. It's not the result because I think we need to win big time, um, Andrew. Big, big time. But. I don't know why, but I've got 2-0 Newcastle flashing around in my mind. So I'm going to go 2-0 Newcastle. I've got no reason for it behind it at all, no logic. But I've won 2-0 Newcastle. And, uh, yeah, I can't tell you why. I just, I've just got a feeling. So that's what I'm going for. Why not live a little, right? Yeah, well, yes, there was no logic behind um, Everton 3, yeah. Newcastle 0. Because Everton can't score three goals in one match. Very and true. they just did. So, look... Logic gets thrown out the window, and this is the sort of match the firms the, the form Spurs are in and Newcastle's exhaustion. This is the sort of match that could go either way, and you could make a good case out for a Spurs win, a good case out for a Newcastle win, and you could fancy a draw like I do. By the way, I don't fancy a draw, I fancy a win, but you just got a feeling that might be the result. Well, we will see come Sunday evening. John, thank you as always for popping on to the Everything is Black and White podcast. You guys listening and watching, hit follow, hit subscribe, depending on the platform you're joining us on, and share the pod amongst your Newcastle United supporting friends and family. Head over to chroniclelive.co.uk for all the build-up to Newcastle United versus Spurs down in London, and of course, live coverage through our dedicated match blog on Sunday afternoon. <laughs>